you have your Bibles with you, let's open it to the Old Testament. For the last three months, we've been studying the New Testament, the Gospels. And so we have saturated our minds with the Gospels. Now, now we come to the Old Testament. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 28. May I request everyone to please stand as we read God's word. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over everything, every living creature that moves on the ground. God bless the reading from His Holy Word. Please be seated. So good morning once again. The month of June is designated as Pride Month. Of course, not in our church, but in the world today. And so we find that we see stores, banners, even social media filled with the rainbow color. And by the way, what is this Pride Month? The roots of LGBT Pride Month extends back to the gay pride marches that began in New York City back in the 1970s. And this is actually a commemoration of the Stonewall riots in Manhattan, the violent demonstration in reaction to police raids on gay bars in 1969. So it started in 1969, so this year, this is the 52nd year of this Pride Month celebration. It first started in New York, and now almost every city in the world celebrate this. And why am I talking about this? Because for a long time, the church has been silent. For a long time, we are afraid to speak the truth in love. And so, even here in the Philippines, even though this is not that big, but it's growing, and we need to confront this issue. As a church, we need to ask ourselves, how, how am I going to respond to this? Am I going to be an advocate of this? Or am I going to be a protester of this? That's going to be our mini-series this month of June. Actually, this has changed. I already planned the series for this month, but uh, in one of our uh, B-group meetings, we were talking about this because uh, if you remember last week, uh, Alan 
preach about the wrath of God and he was teaching from the book of Romans and when we were studying the book of Romans Romans chapter 1 verse 20 to 32 you know we find there that passage of scripture that addressed this issue and so the, there was a a suggestion why not speak about it pastor Mackey I haven't heard you or any pastor speak about you know the LGBT because you know we are always afraid we don't want we want to be politically correct and so can you preach and I was thinking yeah why not because month of June for our church is actually we celebrate marriage right we celebrate marriage in fact June the last Sunday of June that is designated as everybody's wedding day anniversary and when we talk about LGBT, the main attack of the enemy, of course the devil, is marriage. At the very root of God's command, marriage. The sanctity of marriage. And now that is perverted. And that is why we need to talk about this because the issue of homosexuality is highly glamorized legalized, politicized, dramatized, socialized, and even moralized. What used to be something shameful, now they are proud. That's why we call, they call it Pride Month. Right? Although there are some issues there that, of course, we can sympathize, like, you know, one of the things that they are, they are marching is for, you know, for the discrimination part. Of course, we don't discriminate. That is evil. But we want to talk about these things in the pulpit so that as Christians, we know where we stand and not be silent. So how should Christians respond to Pride Month? They have this whole month to celebrate. In fact, if you look at the social media, they already have lined up of events you know, concerts, they have symposiums. And more and more, they are, you know, getting so much support from the community. So as biblical and evangelical Christians, we are charged with the difficult task of what? Compassionate truth-telling. Compassionate truth-telling. This has never been easy, particularly in our time, because we are in this, what, culture of relativism, where we say that what applies to you may not apply to me. We are in a generation where truth is no longer ultimate, where we say that, you know, truth is relative, what is true to you may not be true to me. We are in this sexual revolution where everything is sexualized. Whether you are promoting bread or coffee, everything is sexualized these days. You cannot sell a product without having some half-naked women in the TV. And this is so bad that even among Christians, all right, listen, even among Christians, a lot of our young adults, and teenagers would post their what half-naked bodies on social media on their Instagram on their Facebook and feel so proud about it 
That's the generation now where people say, well, this is my body. I can do whatever I want to do. This is my body. Well, if you're a Christian, that's not your body because the Bible says your body is the temple of the Spirit. And we are supposed to glorify God with our bodies. And so our social media, our Facebook, our Instagram, these are supposedly the ways where we show that we are honoring God with our bodies. But it seems that even our teenagers and young adults are already into this pride thing. There are two ways that Christians react to this, you know, bashing, you know, using the Bible to bash them. That's brutal and unloving. We don't want to go into that extreme, right? As Christians, it's not right to call them names, right? Hating, that's not our stand. Well, the other, the other way, the other Christian's response is dash. <laughs> no, we just run away from it. We just ignore it. Silence. And friends, dash approach is not much better. It simply ignores the elephant in the room. It's like, you know, we don't talk about it, but it's affecting everyone. For too long, those of us in the church have grumbled to ourselves or remained silent about this. We fear that if we point out too clearly and forcefully that homosexuality is a sin, people may hate us or call us, what, judgmental, bigot, what else? hypocrite, pharisaic, and we're afraid that they won't go to church with us. That's why we remain silent. We seem more concerned with losing friends and potential worshipers than losing the souls of those in open and unrepentant rebellion against God. We also seem more worried about the judgment of the netizens. We don't want to be judged by them than we do with the judgment of a wrathful and holy God. So where do we stand? We say, well, we respect them. Well, let me tell you this. Our respect by being silent will not save them. Our silence is pushing them to hell. That's why we need to tell the truth in love. That's the command in the Bible. Instead, we will speak the truth in love. But this is so hard. Compassionate truth-telling requires that the church to speak its deepest convictions while demonstrating the grace, the love, and the mercy of God. How can we tell the truth without you know, being responded like as if we are judgmental. Because every, when we start to tell them that, you know what, it's wrong, they start to say, you are judgmental. So it's not easy, brethren. Even speaking here about this is not easy. We will be losing online worshipers. <laughs> yeah. We will be losing friends. But friends, we are compelled by Christ. How can they know the truth if no one is telling them the truth? 
Compassionate truth-telling means not only the accurate presentation of biblical truth, but the prayerful and urgent hope that they may come to see the beauty of Christ and His Word and perhaps repent from it and live a life that is pleasing to God. So today's message, this morning's message, is, will sort as a foundation of this month's topic. So the truth about being male and female, that's what we are going to talk about. What does the Bible say about being a male and a female? Because everything starts there. These days, you know, I was told that there are some places in the world that when babies are born, they don't put the sex or the gender. Or even they, they, they are now having this differentiation between sex and gender. You don't put a gender to a baby because they say, well, it's up for the baby to decide. That's our world now. Some hospitals are doing it. They don't put the gender because the gender is something, it's a choice of the baby. Before, it's baby boy, baby girl. Now, it's just a blank. <laughs> Until the baby chooses which gender. So it's, it's a perversion. It's going against nature. And so we go back to the Bible. What does the Bible say? All right, let's go back to Genesis, the original plan of God. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals. So God created man, verse 27, in his own image, in the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. Now, what is the truth about being a male and a female? Now, here's the first main point that I want us to learn. Being a male and being a female is designed by God. It's designed by God. It's not the result of just nature, natural selection, no. It's not the choice of the creature, it's the choice of the creator. It's the designer that decides whether you're a boy or a girl, not you. It's designed by God. One of the most compelling biblical reasons why we say that you know, same-sex, marriage, homosexuality is wrong. It's not that we are forcing an issue upon them. No, it is wrong because it distorts the very design of God in the Bible. It's a perversion of the design of God. Now, there are three things I want to talk about the design of God. Number one, God's design determines our definition Nowadays, people make a definition of who they are. It's like the definition of being human is left to the decision of the individual. Can you imagine this? Some would even decide that, you know what? I should marry my pet. That's my choice. So some people also, they're saying, you know what? I'm in, I'm in love with a dead person. And that's my definition of love. And who are you to judge me? You see, we hear all these things. And by the way, these are true. <laughs> I'm not exaggerating them. 
You can just marry anything and you can be in love with anyone or anything because it's your choice. Friends, we are really going away. It's like we are going away from sanity, from what is right. Our definition is de determined by God's design. Look at what the Bible says. Then God says, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Take note how many times Moses wrote that phrase in our image in verses 26 and 27. Three times. There is emphasis there. We are human beings. We are not animals. Why? Because we are at the top of God's creation. If, if you look at how God created the world, you know, you can, you can just be amazed at how organized God is. If you look at Genesis chapter 1, first, God starts to fill up the earth. Fill it up. Just fill it up. You know, it starts with emptiness, then He starts filling it up. Alright? And then, he, he provides things that would support life. And you know the last creature created by God? Man. But with man, this is different. With others, he simply said the word, let there be plants, let there be animals. But with man, it's different because God, you know, took something from the earth and breathed on it the breath of life and it became a living soul. You see? There is something in us that's not just earthly. There is something in us that is divine. That's the image of God. And so, we cannot, we cannot define ourselves together with the animals. No. Because we are reflections of God. There is something in man that God can see himself. That defines us. And so when God says, let us make man in our image, and when God says, let us make them what? Male and female, that's the reflection. That means we are a person. We are not just, you know, like animals. We are not just biological creatures. We are persons. We are endowed with what? With divine image of God. Although that image has been marred by sin, but nonetheless... You and I, we are humans. And because we are reflections of God, it is God that determines our sex, our gender. Not our emotions, not our feelings. Second, God's design determines our distinction. It determines our distinction. When we talk about being a man and being a woman, there are two extremes in the world today. Two worldviews about the distinction of men and women. Of course, the most common one, male chauvinism. What is that? Male chauvinism, you know, it's the philosophy, it's the belief that, you know, male dominance, you know, the male species, they are better. Right? They ought to be president, they ought to be the leaders in everything. While there are some biblical truths to it, but we are not in that extreme. Our church 
doesn't believe that, you know, it's always male dominance. We believe that there are specific roles, both men and women, that are important. Right? But we know we live from that culture. And this male chauvinism has resulted to such, to such what? Abuses, demeaning women, putting women very low in the society. That is not biblical. We were created equal in dignity because the Bible says we were created what? In the image of God, male and female. So when the Bible declares that in the image of God, He created male and female, it means that as far as status and dignity, we are equal. We don't say that, that the males are more human than the females. No, absolutely and so, we don't agree with male chauvinism. The other extreme, of course, is what? Feminism or egalitarianism. What is that? That women are equal with men. You know what men can do? Women can do. Right? And so, we have these statements like, you know, you cannot put a woman in a box. Equal rights. You know, gender equality. The advocacy that women's rights on the base of what? Equality of sexes. Right? Now, there are some extremes to this. Now, we have to understand that when we focus on the Bible, there are some truths to feminism that are biblical, and there are also truths from male chauvinism that are biblical. But in themselves, they are not right. So as a church... We don't go for male chauvinism, which is abusive and putting down women. You know how important women in our church and in the ministry of the church in the Bible. There were so import many important women used by God. On the other hand, there are specific commandments in the Bible that God wants male you know, on those positions. So what is the biblical side? Now, going back to the sex and gender, this is how the feminists try to use the words gender and sex. They say sex refers to what you are by birth. That's what you get. But gender refers to what you are by personal choice. Right? So that's why, you know, when you ask gender, you know, it has nothing to do with the natural, it has something to do with your personal choice. Right? That's what they say. That's why, what is the, the most accurate way of, you know, when you get data, don't use the word gender, just sex. Because when you put their sex, they can do anything. <laughs> okay? It refers to their what? The way they were born. Alright? It's based on their genitalia. That's the sex. But now, they're somehow what? Putting that a little bit what? Relative. It's, it, it, it depends, right? But then there's a biblical side, brethren. There's a biblical side. That's complementarianism. What is that? Complementarianism. What is that? That's the biblical side. That God created male and female. They are equal. But nonetheless, we acknowledge that in the Bible, there are different roles for the male and for the female. Right? 
We complement. Take note, it's not the complement with the I, but with the E. Complementarianism. That's the biblical definition. What is complementarianism? There is equality in status and dignity, while there is diversity in role and duty. God has so designed man that God sees that, you know, one should not look down on the other as far as their status, their dignity as a person. We are equal as persons. But God has given specific roles for men and for women. And later on, we will see the, those roles as we progress in this lesson for this month. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. Friends, there is a sense that God so designed men to be distinct from each other. He has a reason. And according to John Piper, and let me quote this, part of the grandeur of being a human being created in the image of God is that you are either a male or a female. Nobody is a generic human being. You are not a generic human being when you're born and then later on you will choose the brand. No. When God gave you a male you know, genital, it means that you're a male. God wired you to be a male. If you were born a female, then God designed you. There's no such thing as you know, a female trapped in a male's body. That is so unbiblical. You know, you don't, we don't have that. That's not, you don't even find that in, in history, you know, in some philosophies of old. You know, that you, you're a male trapped in a female's body. You know, God never intended that to be. God creates male human beings and female human beings. And that distinction must be followed because, because that is where we find what meaning and purpose of who we are. Who you are as a person. There's too much confusion today because we are ignoring the manual of a person. Remember how when you buy something, you know how to use that thing, whether it's a TV, an aircon. If you don't read the manual, guess what? You will destroy the item. You will destroy the product. The Bible is our manual, brethren. In the New Testament, they say, oh, that's in the Old Testament. Well, look at the, the New Testament. According to Paul, this is what he said in 1 Corinthians 11. Women is the glory of man, for man did not come from woman, but woman from man. So you see here the, the priority. There, there is a sense that, you know, there's a priority here and it's not based on choice. It's based on God's design. But woman from man, neither was man created for woman. Notice this, but woman for man. You see, that's complementarianism. We complement each other. We are not equals in terms of roles. We complement. Look at verse 11 and 12. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as woman came from man, so also man is born of woman, but everything comes from God. You see? So we find here in the letter of Paul a very distinct 
mark of being a man and a woman. There is no confusion. It's very clear. It's like Paul is saying, why are you confusing yourself? You know, God created you to be a woman, so be a woman. God created you to be a man, so be a man. There's a reason for that. Third, God's design determines our direction. God's design not only determines our definition, who we are, our distinction, being a male and a female, it also determines our direction. If you notice in verse 28, God gives specific directives to the man and the woman. See? There's a connection here. So God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth, and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Friends, very clear. After God stated the definition of man that you are forming in, in God's image, after God demonstrated the distinction, you know, you're a male and you're a female, you know, there's a connection there. Why you're a male, you're a female? Because I have two directives for humanity, to populate the earth and to dominate the earth. How can you dominate and populate if you're both males? If you're both females? That's why it was the sign of God that Adam has a comparable helpmate, Eve. Not Adam and, and Steve. <laughs> right? It's Adam and Eve. To populate. And so we find here, friends, that there's, there's really a connection. You see? Why God really chose and designed a man and a woman? Because His plan is to populate the earth. That is why somebody said, you cannot talk about sexes without marriage in mind. You can never talk about sexuality without marriage in mind. Why? Because that's the very reason why God created male and female to populate the earth. See, it, it flows directly from verse 27, male and female, and then God says, you procreate. How can you procreate if you are both males? If you are both females? That's the connection. That's the directive of God. Okay? So God, after creating everything, God says, well, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make, take note, I will make a suitable, what? Helper, a helper suitable for him. You see that? In that verse alone, you find already the design of God that the suitable partner of a male is a female. It's very clear. Because when God says it's not good for man to be alone, I will make a helper suitable for him. You know, God did not make a male and female and then ask Adam, okay, Adam, which, which of this you prefer? Which of this you will enjoy? No. God says, I will make. You see that? I will make. It is God who knows who is suitable for you and for me. He will make a suitable, suitable helper, a comparable helpmate for him. And that's when God created, you know, Eve. And of course, you know the story. You know, 
Adam fell asleep, and while he was sleeping, God did something. God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. Okay? Then now the man says, This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. So now we find here in Genesis chapter 2 the distinction. There's the man, there's the woman. They are different from each other, but they are suitable. That's a design of God. Then you find the definition of marriage. That is why, verse 24, a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they will, they will become one flesh. That's the definition of marriage, brethren. That's the definition of marriage. It's between a man and a woman. You, you messed up with that design you are messing up with the designer. Mess it up, and you have a problem with the designer. Because God says, I did not design you for each other. I have a suitable helper for you. See? So it's between a male and a female. So friends, sex outside of a male-female marriage, you know, is an insult to the Creator's design and a display of human arrogance. It's like saying to God, God, you are wrong when you created me. So it's arrogance. And by the way, no wonder they call it Pride Month. And just want to remind us, pride is the very reason why Lucifer became Satan. He got so proud of himself that he thought he doesn't need God. See? Be careful about pride. Then let's go to the second. Okay? We will, we will just go through this. So that's the design of God. Okay? That will provide us a platform where we will talk about things next week. But that design, brethren, that, that's a, that good design of God has been distorted by sin. So this is where homosexuality, immorality, and all sorts of madness and perversion start. It's not the design of God. It's the distortion of sin. We all know, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The beautiful design of God in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 got distorted in Genesis chapter 3. The result? All sorts of perversion. Then you have there the murder. Then you have there homosexuality. Then you have there, you know, the feeling towards the same sex. All these friends are what? The distortions of sin. So when, when these people say, but you know what? I have a problem. I was born this way. If you ask me, Pastor, how would you answer that? They say, you know what? I know it's wrong, Pastor, but I was born this way. I was born with this inclination. Well, let me tell you this. I agree with that statement. Because sin, we were all born sinners. Remember? Remember what, what David says, Psalms 51 verse 4? I was sinful when my mother conceived me. In other words, all this pervert, perversion and all this inclination towards evil, they started when we were in the womb. So when somebody says, I was born this way, I agree with you. For some, they were born, you know, with the inclination to rape. Yes. For some, they were born with the inclination to, to kill. Yes, that's true. 
We were all born with all sorts of perversions, friends. That's why we need to be born again. Amen? That's why we need to be born again because I was born, you know, when somebody's, but I was born already, you know, homosexual. Yes, I know, I agree. That's why the Bible says you have to be born again because without being born again, we cannot enter the kingdom of God. I need to be born again because I was born with so many bad inclinations. We all need to be born again. So it's true. Is it inborn? Yes. Because we were born sinners. You know, the same, you, know, you, you can use the same philosophy. If someone is born, let's say, if someone is born with the inclination to fall in love with the same sex, and you say, you know, that's right. What if someone is say, you know, I was born with the inclination to make love with children. Can we say that, well, that's his choice? Can we say, well, that's your pride. See? You cannot just choose to say, you know, I was born to have this inclination to kill. You know, I have this, it's my right to kill. No. <laughs> it's no one's right. It's God. Amen? And so we find in Romans chapter 1, here we go, right? Romans chapter 1, 24 to 27. We will just go through the verse. Look at this. So God abandoned them to whatever shameful things their hearts desire. You see? It's, it's true. It comes from the desire. But friends, doesn't mean you have the desire. Doesn't mean that you can simply follow that desire. Because there are bad desires. There are good desires. If it's a bad desire, you have to fight it. So the Bible says, you know, God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desire. As a result, take note, they did vile, degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. See? A lie that, you know what? This is right. This is my choice. This is, this is what makes me happy. This is love. People are trying to define love on their own terms. Only God can define what love is. So what's the Bible say? They traded the truth about God for a lie, so they worship and serve the things God created instead of what? The Creator Himself who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Second time. If the... Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulge in sex with each other. You see? That's coming from the lie. Again, the lie that, you know what? This is what I feel. Friends, not everything you feel is good. Right? Look at the men. And men, instead of having normal relations with women, burned with lust. For each other. See? This is New Testament, by the way. This is not Old Testament. Men did shameful things with other men, and as a result of this sin, look at this, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserve. That's why we have all this disease today. They know God's judgment. Look at verse 32. This is now the, the wrath of God. They know that God's judgments requires that those, take note, those who do these things deserve to 
die, you see? It's, it's, not, it's, it's not a petty issue, brethren. We're talking here. When we talk about LGBT, you know, how we wish that they understand that they are distorting the very plan of God and that there is punishment awaiting. But we love them and we want them to know the truth. And know this, those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do, they do them anyway. And worse, here's the worst, they encourage others to do them too. That's Pride Month, encouraging others. That's why we are living in a shaky generation because here's the story. Before, maybe 50 years ago, if, if a boy has a tendency... But somehow, you know, the culture is telling, you know, it's wrong. Then there's a tendency that that boy would somehow, you know, suppress and tell himself, you know what, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. But now, no more. Because society is already saying, you know, you just do it. So instead of fighting what is wrong, he is now even encouraged. You know? He is now even encouraged. That's our generation today. That's why the Bible says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. That's the perversion in the world today. What used to be bad, now it's a choice. Murdering children, women's choice. See? Immorality, love. They call it love. Now the question is this, is there any hope? The design of God is distorted by sin. Is there any hope, brethren? Well, there is. Because here's the third, and let me end with this. Because man and woman can be delivered by Christ. Amen? Do you believe that even homosexuality can be delivered by Christ? No sin, listen, no sin is beyond the cure. No sin is beyond the reach of the cross. No darkness and wickedness of man is beyond the cure from the love of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so let me close with this. 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11. to This is hope, brethren. If you have a friend, a relative, somehow belonging to that community, I really want you to pray and I want you to listen to this verse. Look at what this verse is saying. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or who commit adultery. Okay, take note. Adultery is still there. Or a male prostitute or practice homosexuality or, a thie or thieves, greedy people, drunkards, or abusive, cheat people. None of this will inherit the kingdom of God. Friends, Here's also one thing. Let us not overemphasize homosexuality as if it's a sin higher than all. Take note, they all on the same level. You know? You might not be a homosexual, but you're a drunkard. You're still on the same line. You know? You are not, you are not a homosexual, you're not an adulterer, but you're abusive. Or you cheat people in your business. You are still on the same level. Don't Please don't 
think that, you know, homosexuals are worse than you. They're on the same level. So that's also one thing. Let us not exaggerate homosexuality as if it's the only sin that would bring people to hell. Your drunkenness can also bring you to hell. That's what the Bible says. Even our pornography can bring us to hell according to this verse. But here's hope. Look at this. This is good. Look at this. Here's, here's the hope. Here's the deliverance from Christ. Some of you were once like that. Remember, Paul is talking to the church. Some of you were once like that. Can you imagine? You're an elder. You used to be a homosexual, right? You're a deacon. You used to be an adulterer, right? That's the point. The people in the church, we used to be like that. Take note of the verb, use once. In other words, it, it can be true about your past, but not your present when you are in Christ. Amen? But you were, take note, cleanse. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling, take note, on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Friends, that is hope. There is deliverance. Yes, there can be adulterers, immorals, homosexuals in the church, but that is their past. Because Christ changed us. Amen? When you come to Jesus Christ, you can never be the same. Amen? So don't worry. You know, if you go to church, you say, ah, lahuli kan yung church. Don't worry, you know. Ang among church sa Bradford, mga X-men na sila. Mm, X-maniac. X. Puro X. Ganoman, because that's our past. Amen? Now, we are transformed by the cross. So, don't, don't ever think, nakanasla, mga holy you kayo nila sa una. Pariha rin atanan. We all came from the same lake. But we have been cleansed. Amen? We have been washed. We have been purified by the blood of Christ. And so the design of God that is so beautiful, distorted by sin, listen, it can be delivered. So there is hope for these people. Amen? And it's only through Jesus Christ. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has been, become what? A new person. The old life is gone, praise the Lord, and new life has begun. And it is my prayer, brethren, that maybe you're one. You know, he could be part of an LGBT community. There's hope for that person. If anyone is in Christ, he can become a new person. Let's pray for that new person to come out. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your message. We give you praise. We give you glory, O oh God. We pray for this LGBT community, Lord. They are our friends, relatives, maybe part of our circles, Lord. And you want us to see them with compassion, with love. Help us to welcome them, O oh God, by bringing Christ to them. We are praying for the Philippines, Lord. We are praying, O oh God, that somehow truth will prevail. I pray that you would bless our government, that our government, you know, especially in, in the lawmakers, they would still uphold the sanctity of a male and female marriage. 
and that our government, Lord, will still uphold the biblical principles of what it means to be a man and to be a woman. And so protect our government, Lord, particularly our lawmakers from passing laws, O God, that are anti-biblical. May this nation still stand for what is right, what is truth, and what is for your glory and for your honor. Prepare us now to come to celebrate the sacrament of your body and blood. In Jesus' name, amen.